0: Hey everybody, welcome to It's Real with Jordan and Demi. I'm Jordan Edwards in New York, also in New York, Demi Ramos with a hat. We're both wearing hats today. we the we're day all black hats. The and it's almost like two on. It's almost two on that we're both wearing black hats <laughs> at the same time. Um, and the pink backgrounds too.
1: And the pink back, we play. Yeah, yeah. And the same microphones.
0: And the same microphones, yes. Yes. Um, very excited for today's show. We have a very talented musician who's had a really interesting path through the record industry, and she's got really great songs, both on the rock side and the rap side. So let's bring her out. Kayflay, everybody. Hello. What is going on?
2: Uh, not too much. I feel like I should have worn a black hat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you're wearing a, a black uh, pullover or jacket or something here.
2: That's true. My headphones are black, so I'm sort of in line with like the aesthetic of the I group. I
0: appreciate it. We all appreciate <laughs> it. What's going on?
2: Not too much. Um, I am. I'm just in my studio in L.A. kind of getting the day started. Uh, yeah. You know, just yeah.
1: surviving this pandemic.
2: How right, do you start right.
1: your day? You said earlier that your girlfriend um, has you sleeping at midnight and waking up at seven. Is this an everyday thing for you?
2: It is. This is. You know what's interesting about this period of time, and I don't know if it's it's true for you guys as well. You know, this is the most um, regimented and scheduled I've ever been in my life, probably since college, in terms of having like a routine that I'm actually able to engage with and enact every day so you know typically as a touring musician you know i've been on the road now for 10 years so i'm used to just kind of pure chaos uh total unpredictability and no consistency so the pandemic has really been like going to bed getting up i eat the same thing every morning uh and and i found it at first i was you know, I think it took my brain a little time to adjust, but it's it's actually quite comforting having a routine.
0: Do you feel also kind of? Do you ever feel like this is lame? I miss going to bed at two a.m. and getting up at eleven thirty.
2: Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, There there are moments when I yearn for the the motion and chaos of living on the road, but I think actually I kind of had a breakthrough with my therapist. Not to go so deep. Right no, let's the do beginning. it. Let's go deep. But I, we were talking, you know, she was asking me, okay, like as we're sort of nearing this transitional moment where, you know, life as we used to know it probably won't exactly be back, but some version of it, what are you going to take with you from this experience? Like, let's, let's talk about that just so we can kind of like enforce that as, as you move forward. And what I, what I think I honed in on was this kind of delineation between like what is just stimulation and what is meaningful. And I, I think I kind of made the, the analogy of like what's noise and what's a song, you know? And I think in, in, in my pre-pandemic life, I was seeking lots of noise uh, and, and maybe not always using my best judgment as to like what was, what was a song and what was just like someone screaming.
1: You mentioned therapy. Um, A lot of, like, my closest friends, for some reason, are all in therapy starting, like, as of recent. Yeah. And how does, like, how has that helped you? Like, what got you into therapy? Like, I'm about to be, like, I'm looking for a good therapist. Tell us about how that, like, is good for your mental health, like, for you.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I sort of have perhaps a, a little bit more, God bless our therapist. Um, I, I had really, really bad OCD as a child. Um, and so I actually started seeing a psychologist when I was quite young, like, uh, probably about nine, 10, uh, for, for like a two-year period around then in, in sort of my like elementary school years. And then I actually saw the same psychologist again, because I was kind of having a flare up uh, when I was like 19.
0: You make it sound like it's like a, a colon issue or something. I was having a flare well, up. Yeah.
2: I mean, so this is like lightly, I don't think it's controversial, but my attitude about mental health and therapy is, is sort of like the mentality about physical therapy, which is that you go to physical therapy when you're having an issue flare up, you get techniques and strategies, and then they set you out into the world. You know, and I and I do think like that model of of therapy and mental health for me and like the stuff that I deal with uh, has been extremely helpful. So I'm basically like, it seems like every ten years I have like a flare up. So I'm just you know I'm dealing with that flare up and you, so you're
0: in between flare ups right now. You're like mid yeah yeah.
2: I'm I'm like exiting a flare,
0: exiting the flare.
2: The yeah. flare
0: is in the rearview mirror and you're going towards something better and brighter.
2: Correct. And, you know, like Demi, to your point, I think this pandemic has, you know, we're all just sitting around thinking there's a lot of time to sort of uh, get lost in the chaos of your own mind. So I I feel like this has been a good time for therapy if you're open to it, Um, because those like those distractions just aren't there. So you are able to focus a little bit on that kind of like change and growth.
0: You have a, a new single out, newish single. It's uh, "I Don't Care Anymore" uh, collaboration with Jack Sanderson. Oh yeah, it's such a great song. It's such a laid back, like um, it kind of reminds me of No Name, if you're familiar uh-huh. with No Name, um, totally. which uh, which would be an amazing collaboration. A K. Flay No Name collaboration would be so sick. Um, but it was it was kind of a spontaneous song, right? And it it went through the the whole process very quickly. Correct? Totally. So
2: I I know Jacks. I met Jax actually just in passing at Voodoo Fest, like, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. And then Jax, our paths kind of crossed a few times. She she was opening up for a Bishop Briggs tour that also my girlfriend was the, the other opener and uh, Bishop is one of my close friends. So uh, yeah, so Jax was doing that. And so like our paths were kind of crossing. And then um, she posted uh, like, a little demo of the song on TikTok, and a bunch of people tagged me in it being like, you should cl- like k jump on this. Like dude. The, the internet wins. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. I saw that and I was like, oh man, this song's rad. And then my one of my best friends and uh, collaborators, Tommy English, who's a producer, he texted me and was like, hey, I'm gonna help like finish producing this song. Do you wanna feature on it? Can you come over tomorrow? And I was like, oh my God, it's like the old days and tommy's the one person i've been seeing in person because we've been working on music uh so yeah i just came over like we looped the track i wrote a verse in like 20 minutes recorded it and it was literally out and there's a video too you
0: did a video like yeah yeah.
2: we shot of it Jax was like come to the we were like planning okay we'll meet in the park on Mm -hmm. sunday and uh yeah and she directed like filmed edited everything like she's she's amazing so well, it it was, looks great, it sounds really great. Fun. It's
0: a really fun song. Um, but I guess your your most recent official release is the cover EP, yeah. Um, don't judge a song by its cover. And I want to talk about your song selection here Uh, Offspring Self Esteem and Green Day, uh, Brain Stew, and then Limp Bizkit, Break Stuff. I really love the Brain Stew cover, it's great. Um I kind of wish there was a jaded part that you would have like pushed through and done the whole thing, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, that's cool. But I, I'm really interested in the break stuff cover because I'm curious how much irony is there because you and I are roughly the same age and we were kids during the Limp Biscuit Maelstrom, uh, the Fred Durst, Hurricane Durst. Right. Um, so how much of that is love and how much of it is kind of like, this is a stupid ass song, but I'm going to make it sound cool.
2: Well, I think, and I I could probably talk for quite some time about this. So shut me up if I'm uh, if I'm going on ad nauseum. But so to start things off, I wasn't like listening to this when it came out. Like I honestly didn't really listen to the song, this song break stuff, the original song, until like three years ago. So I kind of came into the like the new metal world and its adjacent genres quite late in life.
0: Um, What were you listening to in sixth grade when new metal was like at its peak?
2: Like nothing really. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't really listen to that much music as, as a kid. Um, I mean, it it was sort of like in the ether, of course, and I was aware of it in a broad sense, but um, I wasn't, I wasn't emotionally connecting with music until I went to college. So a lot of that stuff that happened that, that came out in my like teenage preteen years I was just like, I know who Limp Biscuit is. I mean, I think my main association was like West Borland with the contacts. And I was like, yeah. in my mind, I'm like, this is scary music. And I don't like scary music. Like,
0: Yeah, I, it was, it was yeah. dangerous. It was dangerous. And it was stuff that your parents didn't want you to listen to. Right. And like, I, yeah. I feel like we've entered an era and where in the 80s and 90s, There were all these musics from heavy metal to gangster rap to rap metal to the Marilyn Manson kind of scare. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And now I feel like it's really a lot harder to shock parents with music. It's been a really long time since like some band or actor, rapper, whoever came out and parents were like, oh, no, my kids can't listen to this. You know, this is really going to corrupt their minds, which I think is really interesting where we've come to that point.
2: It is. It is really interesting. I mean, the the kind of like horror genre or whatever. Um, yeah, it was such a big part. Like, I even remember I was really scared of Eminem. Like, I was I thought that was scary. Like all the stuff about killing his, yeah. his killing Kim and like putting her in a trunk and throwing <laughs> yeah. her off. A, like, so so I think what's been interesting for me as a as a musician is there was a lot of music that I found and I, I'll even put like Metallica in this category where I heard it and I was scared. I, I became agitated and upset. And much of my adult life, especially as like I as I am a part of like alternative modern rock or whatever, has been attempting to kind of like understand and engage with a lot of this a lot of this music that I found frightening on some level to me. It's yeah. funny you
0: say it because one of your biggest songs, "Blood in the Cut," is kind of a scary song, scary <laughs> video. Like I was like, I w- I went on it uh, your YouTube page yesterday to like you know refresh and like do you know, and I like noticed that there's like a advisory that comes up when you watch the "Blood in the Cut" video, like a viewer discretion thing. So it's kind of mm-hmm. funny that you the music that you were scared of, you've kind of become part of a little bit.
2: Well, to bring it all full circle to the therapy uh, beginning, you know, in a sense, like we're talking about exposure therapy, like things that scare you often unlock are actually like connected to something that might be important to engage with in terms of like your own liberation and your own kind of like leveling up as a human being. Um, And uh, we... (laughs) um, yeah, actually I was gonna say about parents being shocked. I feel like Lil Nas X is having that that moment. Um but but yeah, I mean for for me, I think making making music that's aggressive and I can't I can't talk too much about it now, but the the music that's co- coming up for me that's coming out is heavy. And and I think like
0: Demi I don't loves really, that Demi loves heavy stuff.
2: Oh, then you're gonna like this. You're gonna like this. It's like, but you know, okay. So to, to backtrack, backtrack to the to your original question. Yeah. Um Break stuff. I so okay. Limp Biscuit is sort of in this world of like bro rock, violence, new metal, sort of like I think anti woman in a sense. You know, there's like punching, right. And so there's um you know, all these associations. And I think to me, what's exciting about covering a song is totally recontextualizing it. And for me, Break Stuff was the big, big challenge. Um, The reason that I wanted to do it is because the first line of the song kept coming to me during COVID, at the beginning of COVID.
0: It's one of those days where you don't want to wake up? Yeah, everything. Can I swear? Yeah.
2: Everything is fucked and everybody sucks. And And I just like, you know, I think for a lot of us, this pandemic, for the calm, polite people, it it, it has, you know, you feel like, like, what am I supposed to do? I normally get to like be on stage and yell and, and get it out that way. I have no way to get it out. I'm stuck in my, I'm stuck in my house. And I wanted to see if I could find a way to engage with that sentiment of aggression and frustration and recontextualize it in what I hope is is a self-aware manner. And that was really like, I tried doing that cover a bunch of different ways. That thing was like a pain in my ass. But I felt really proud of where it ended up, to be honest. It's hard
0: to find that perfect line where you're not making fun of the song, but you're not just rehashing the song as well.
2: Correct. And I think like what I, you know, sort of one of my over, (laughs) that's quite a compliment. Um, one of my overarching goals with this is like, okay, well, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm that's, I've been socialized as such, and I'm, I'm very comfortable being vulnerable and open. Um, you know, for a lot of young boys and men, they are not socialized to feel comfortable, uh, with that kind of like really raw emotionality. And I think a lot of music that's made by men, particularly in the nineties did have a lot of real emotion in it, but was expressed in this incredibly angry way um an incredibly aggressive way and so i wanted to kind of like reframe that and reconsider it like self-esteem by the offspring is a devastatingly sad song actually it is
0: really sad
2: yeah (laughs) and i and i and so i think like with break stuff i'm trying to come at it i guess with some compassion and say like well if you felt if you felt like totally enclosed and unable to express yourself your whole life to the point where all you want to do is just break something. Um, How how can I sing about that in my own way? Because I'm feeling that too.
1: One of the coolest thing um, about your vocals is that it's almost, you know, Half the time it sounds like you're rapping, it sounds like you're spitting straight fire, but it's you're also singing. It's this like very unique style that I can recognize immediately as you. Um, I want to know how did you develop this sort of style? Where would it come from? Um,
2: it, it developed very naturally. Uh, you know, I don't I don't have any kind of like formal musical training in any way. I just I, I just started making music for fun, uh, and you know, I initially was, was kind of existing in a more kind of like indie rap world. And so rhythm uh, over, rhythm kind of t- had primacy over melody in, in that period of time. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I don't think there was ever any kind of like where I took a step back and even thought about it. I, I think I've just as I've experimented with different genres and, you know, I've I've been really influenced by all the people I've toured with. Cause I've, I've been on all types of tours, you know, I've played like literally any type of show you can imagine, but just watching people like perform on stage, I think has affected me. I mean, to be honest with you playing Warp Tour, which I did for a whole summer uh, in 2014, when I put my first full length record out, that was really influential. That was the first time, I mean, going back to like Jordan talking about scary music, that was the first time I had been at like a hardcore
0: show. And I was like, who the headliners were the year that you played Warp Tour? Do you remember who the headliners were?
2: Um, okay, some of the just for context. You know. For context. Well, I mean there I remember there was a band. I don't know if they were a headliner. Um, can you
0: remember like being around like bands you're around during that time? Because on the warp tour, there's a lot of camaraderie too with with the different acts.
2: There is a lot of camaraderie. I mean, we shared so I shared a bus actually with a band called Plague Vendor, who uh Yay. is is awesome. I love those dudes. Um and you know, Brandon, who's the the singer, is like one of those performers where you're like, oh my god, you were like oh you're like a rock star. Um and there, there was a band, um, who was playing that was kind of connected with them. And so a lot of the and then, But that's not like the super heavy stuff. I remember there was a band called uh, Ice Nine Kills. I'm pretty sure that's the name of the band. And I was like, that was really scary. Uh, actually, here's a memory. There's <laughs> a band called Chelsea Grin. Again, I was like kind of interested in the bands that were on the monster stage, which was like the scary stage.
0: Right. Um which stage were you playing the which stage were you on?
2: I was on I was on like the non I was on the outsiders stage. So I think at that time it yeah. was called SoundCloud or Spotify. It was like the side it was like these people like kind of don't fit in but they kind of do fit in and this is
0: kind of like from the life is a dog era ish exactly yeah this is
2: like when that record came out yeah
0: and I just remember that band Chelsea
2: Grin I don't even know I'm not sure what they're what they're up to at this point but the the guitarist hit like the guitar must have been tuned in like drop like B or something Mm. like solo hit this like demonic note and then the singer got up And just like went like this Mm. across his neck with Mm. like the scariest look on his face. And I was like, am I about to die? Like it, it it honestly scared the shit out of
0: me. Um, You're like, I'm just an indie rapper. like.
2: Yeah, but there, there were bands like, you know, The Story So Far was was a, a headliner that year. That, phrase so that's, like,
0: that's what I call, they call, I call those phrase bands, bands where their names is literally a phrase, you know. Correct. The alternative um, press type bands, yeah.
2: It, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there were a lot of bands like Motionless and White was on that summer, which is like, they're also kind of scary. Um, yeah, that summer really was a, I felt like an anthropologist. It was very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, um, I... One thing I, I I you know, I know you're a big outcast fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big outcast fan. And I'm curious, what's your favorite outcast album?
2: Oh. Um oh man. You know, this just came up because uh I was whatever. This this came up in a conversation. Um in a way, Atlians is only because, or I shouldn't say only. It doesn't necessarily have my all of my favorite songs. Like I feel like Speakerbox Love Below might be, might be actually if I took a step back. But in terms of me getting introduced to them and me, it, it's that memory of hearing hearing a band or a group or an artist who is doing something that is so different. And I can remember when I first heard that record, um, I was in college and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it, it, you know, and I'd heard like obviously outcast singles and stuff on the radio, but like really digging into the catalog in that way was was exciting for me. What, what, What's your answer to this question?
0: I'm a big Equimini fan. I love Equimini. Mm. And the reason I really like it is because I think it's a good bridge album. I'm a fan of bridge albums, you know, because I think that you talk about ATL Aliens was more of a straight Southern hip hop album right. and Akwim and I got into like more live instrumentation and orchestral arrangements. I mean, I think about a song like liberation, which is almost goes into like a Quincy Jones style film score at the end. Um, and they brought in and this, and the time, this is, you know, late nineties, you're talking boy bands and, um, Uh, Bad Boy Records sampling everything that's around them. And then you have this Southern rap group who brings in real bass players, real piano, drums, and makes this album. So, yeah, I guess I am just kind of like an advocate for that era of of OutKast. But I was curious how you felt about it.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's with certain bands, and I'm sure you guys can relate on a number of levels, there's just like nostalgia you have for records that you can't explain. Because it... I think what's amazing about music is that for, for many of us, it, it's not just about the songs. It's about the time of life when you listen to those songs and where you were at and who you were meeting and the kinds of experiences you were having. So um, for for me, that record is deeply associated with like a time.
0: Right. You know? Right. Right. Totally.
1: Zachary Lake, he's saying, Hey, Kate, play what is your favorite DAW? I'm using Ableton, but wondering what you recommend. So what's your tech situation at the studio?
2: Oh, my tech situation. Okay, actually, I was just talking about Ableton 11. So I'm I'm, if you can believe it, I'm still I'm still Ableton 10 over here. Uh, but I run so I I track all my vocals in Pro Tools, which is just kind of how I learned on pro tools and, and I know Ableton 11 has playlisting, So that kind of changes the game, but I'm super, I'm super quick tracking my vocals and pro tools. And then I do all my other production elements in Ableton and, uh, I usually record like demo vocals in Ableton, but end up doing my kind of final takes in pro tools. And we run the live show, uh, through Ableton as well. So, so largely Ableton. And then, you know, I'm like a OG pro tools. Can't let it go. Kind of kind of girl.
0: And is is your studio you're in right now? Is that your is that your home studio?
2: This is not. So this okay. is a, an external I go somewhere.
0: Because I was curious if you're one of these people you get up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. now that you're on this disciplined uh, schedule, this, you know, <laughs> where you go to bed after the golden girls. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, If you're one of these people, do you get up in the middle of the night and start writing down lyrics, you know, uh, try to like do a scratch recording of a guitar riff? Like how much are you that kind of person?
2: Well, we have a home studio. So, so my girlfriend's a musician as well. Um, and, and a touring artist. So we have, we have a studio at home, which is like fully functional. And, you know, actually I did the whole covers record there at just at home. Um, but then we have like this external studio where I go to. But you know what? I've never been. I never like wake up in the middle of the night and have ideas. Whenever I, whenever I like hear interviews with musicians who say that, I'm just like, not me. I'm just sleeping. I, I I'm really not doing anything interesting, or I'm worrying about random things that you know. I'm like ruminating. So, mm. I, I, the inspiration doesn't strike in the middle of the night. But, but that being said, I do have the capability uh, to, to record it. If it, if it were to strike.
1: You've had such a successful career, k I want to know, was there any hardships? Like was, what was the point where you were like, what's going on? Like, you know what I mean? Or was it just always up? Uh,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> it was always up.
2: Yeah, no, there, there have definitely been, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the kind of, the biggest reckoning i had um and sort of like the gauntlet that i had to go through was actually right right before and as i was making that first full-length record of mine called life as a dog which was just about seven years ago so i i kind of like right out the gate got signed to rca i got a record deal when i was very very green like i didn't i did not know what i was doing um and I got put through, you know, what is
0: what is a ringer? Typical- I call it the label ringer, where they just, yeah, yeah,
2: the label ringer, and it's it's mm-hmm. very typical. And it's basically like, oh, you're a young artist here. We'll put you in with a lot of producers, and we'll we'll you know we'll throw a lot of shit at the wall, and we'll see what sticks. And uh, you know, while I think that works for some artists, for me it was a very disorienting process, a very confusing process. And I think I got further and further away from making the music that I liked, or even knowing what I liked. Um, so I, I got dropped from that deal, uh, after a couple of years. And that was really like the biggest moment of reckoning, because I think, you know, when you're signed, you you sort of feel like you're on a treadmill and it's moving and and you know where to go and there's people to help you. And when you're off that treadmill, you kind of have to ask yourself, do like, do it do I want to do this? Do I still have like the fire and the passion? What am I good at it? Apparently maybe not like, um, and so that was, I think that was the, the biggest reckoning in many ways, but you know, since that time, and, and that was really, I guess, to finish the story, I, my manager and I started a little like indie label for me and, uh, crowdfunded the record and put it out and that ended up really being the catalyst for kind of my, my career in many ways. So it was a, it was a really important process. Um, but there've, there've been a lot of moments. Um, you know, I think life on the road uh, is, uh, you know, it, it's hard on mental and physical health. It's, it's a, it's a total joy, but there's a cost to it as well, you know, and, and it's, it's a difficult negotiation. So there've, there've certainly been moments, I think when I
0: wasn't really taking care of myself that well, and, um, I didn't have balance. And you, but you, you've never been a big drug and alcohol person.
2: No, I, I, the, I've definitely had periods though
0: this on is turning the road. into like behind the music for each one behind the music.
2: Yeah, know? let's go. I mean, I'm I'm honestly an open book. Um yeah, I think, you know, the the thing that I've had to negotiate is really I, I I've never been interested in in drugs or used them. That even includes weed, which I know doesn't even really count or whatever, but um yeah, for me, I think the negotiation of alcohol has been the real Uh, the real thing that I've had to deal with because, you know, alcohol is so institutionalized on tour. It is like currency when you're first touring, like you often get no food in the green room, but you get beer, you definitely get beer. And so it it is, um, you know, I think you have, I I basically don't know any touring musician who has not had to have a, a real like reckoning process and negotiation around
0: alcohol. It's, it's part of the culture. Demi and I filmed a video in a rehearsal space here in one of those like rent by the hour rehearsal spaces mm-hmm. and they have beer available at the front desk. You could you can get a, uh, an XLR cable and you can also get a right. Coors Light at I'm the same right. desk. <laughs> totally. And that's what I mean by like,
2: it's, it is institutionalized. And so I think, you know, for, for me, I, I have two, two dads, uh, a biological dad and then another dad who raised me and and adopted me and but my biological dad was was um a pretty severe alcoholic and died because of that and when I was young, and so i I grew up with a very kind of black and white like alcohol's bad, so I won't drink it. um and then, of course, I grew up and became a musician and yet you know, and then kind of had to go through this process of like, okay, I, I'm going to experiment with drinking. What does it feel like? Do I like it? Is it, is it making my life better? Is it making my life worse? How is it? And, and kind of negotiating those things. And, um, you know, that's been a lot of my music. I, I talk about it because for me, just from a, like a personal history perspective, because of my dad, there's so much tied up in it. You know, like it's something I think about quite a bit.
0: Both of my grandfathers meant, uh, dad and mom's side were alcoholics and it's, it's almost been like a, a thing for me where it's a specter kind of in the distance that I've never really drank that much or party that I'm, I'm not one of these people who loves alcohol to begin with, but um, that when you know, it's in your family, it's kind of a, an ominous thing, you know?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think specter is a good word. Um, Spectre, yeah. It, it, it really does it feels like that. So it feels like a lot of my decision-making around alcohol is imbued with this like much, this gravitas of like the history, you know? So figuring out what's good for me, um, has taken time, but I I feel like, you know, I've been able to do that. And it's, it's been a process that's actually brought me a lot of like insight in many ways.
0: I'm curious, you know, you went through this, the ringer at RCA, and we've had people on the show all the time who have done the independent and major label thing. And you had the successes of uh, Life as a Dog, and then you went back to the major label system, signed with Interscope to release Everywhere Somewhere, which was really your breakout, your, your most well-known songs around that album. Yep. So what was behind the decision and what about the experience at Interscope was such an improvement?
2: Well, so the the real kind of linchpin there was Dan Reynolds, who is the lead singer of Magic Dragons and like ama- an amazing songwriter in person in general. And he, he emailed me. So I was like getting ready to put out uh, my next record independently. And I got contacted by him. He had heard some of the demos and he was wanting to start an imprint um, on Interscope And he wanted to sign an artist, and he wanted to talk to me about it. And, you know, Dan's been through his fair share of kind of industry experiences. And I I think, you know, had a lot of compassion for me in that situation, in terms of knowing that I was seeking creative freedom, but also was looking for like support to distribute my music and get it out. And really, you know, I signed that deal because of Dan. And um, yeah, Dan was a huge, a huge champion for me within the building. You know, I think what's what's really tough about major labels for a lot of young artists is there's a lot of acts, you know, they've signed tons of bands um, and it's just hard to get attention and resources uh, by virtue of that. Uh, so so having Dan as as my advocate and kind of as like my guide in a lot of ways really made all the difference. Um, and you know Dan was just super super kind to me and you know took took me on tour I, I toured with Imagine Dragons across the US and all of Europe, UK and just just learned so much. I mean you know I'd been I'd been touring in clubs and small theaters up until that point and then, We're in arenas and that's a whole different ball game. So, so he he was really the, the, the reason for that deal. And I think, you know, in many ways, the reason that it was successful and a good place for me to be,
0: you were a little bit older than some artists who break out. You were in your uh, late twenties, early thirties, when you really Mm -hmm. hit your stride. Do you think that maturity helped you?
2: For me? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in general, a late bloomer. Like that's just me. So, I, I, I'm, I, I sort of at this point just expect that I will do things like five years later than everybody, five to ten years later than everybody else. Um, but I do think I do think having that sense of self and having my friends and having like having kind of my personal, uh, understanding very very uh, fully formed when when that all went down was was helpful. Uh, because it's, you know, you guys talk to a lot of artists, it's, it's confusing. And I, a lot of people are telling you lots of different things about you,
1: mm-hmm. which
2: is weird. Um, and if you're not, if you're not pretty firmly tied to friends and family who like, really have your best interests, and really know you, that can be kind of like devastating in certain ways, I think.
1: What makes you stand out so much to me, even compared to all the other artists we've had on this show, is like you're an advocate of doing your own damn thing. Um, You refuse to be put in a box. Um, I just want to know how were you able to stand your ground throughout your career?
2: (laughs) Well, okay, I'll give. I, I should give a big shout out to my manager Seth. So we've been together. We've been working together since, you know. We're, we're day one, um, and I, I was his first client. So we're, I think, in many ways, we've been able to to develop together, and our collective attitude has been one of really staying true to our our beliefs and our perspective in a lot of ways. And you know, having his support and just knowing, like, my best. Friend is my manager. He has my back. If I told him like, Hey dude, I need to quit music. Like now he'd be like, okay. You know, just, just knowing that there's that safe place. Um, I think it's a huge part of
0: it. We love you, Seth. Wow. Mm -hmm. This is,
2: I hope he's watching. Cause I sometimes (laughs) like, I pick on him. I rag on him sometimes. Um,
0: (laughs) I like the, like the nineties emoticon heart. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) so I think, I think dummy, that's part of it. Um, and then I think, you know, maybe Jordan to <laughs> connect it to what you were saying being like a little more grown up and having just had like the time to develop as a human being. And, you know, I'm very close with my family, I'm very close with my friends, they hold me really accountable. And I think. know, reliability and accountability are two of the most powerful things in life. You know, I think when you are really held to account for your behavior uh, and your work, you produce better work and you behave in a a conscious and compassionate manner. And, you know, I think those That kind of groundwork has has helped me to say, you know what, like, hey, this feels right or this doesn't feel right. Um, And to to honestly have the confidence and and kind of self-esteem to go go out there and just say like, hey, I'm going to do me. You know, maybe I'm messing up. Maybe it's not great. Maybe I'll be like humiliated by this later, which has certainly been the case. Um, But at least I'm like, I'm trying and I'm trying to be me and I'm trying to be authentic.
0: Before we let you go, you mentioned... Upcoming music a little bit briefly. How much can you tell us about maybe not just your, your upcoming uh, EP album, whatever you're working on, but also live shows like what projects do you have going on the next, you know, few months over the summer, what's your summer looking like?
2: Well, summer. um, So, yeah, I mean, without, without saying too much, uh, I have been working hard on, on new music, which I'm very, very excited uh, to release into the world pretty, pretty soon. Um, this summer really, I've got, I've got some dates on the books actually rescheduled from last spring, I guess. So I was, I was opening up a few shows for Lewis, the child, uh, which is a a duo that I've collaborated with on a couple of, a couple songs for their records. Um, so, so those are on the books for this summer. Uh, but other than that, it's really just new music on the way. So yeah that that's pretty much it. And, you know, continuing to wake up at 7.00 AM and like, you know, stay on my, stay on my routine as long as I possibly can until I get thrown into the, the vortex of confusion.
0: Absolutely. Well, we look forward to whatever you come up with and we'll be listening and we really appreciate you coming on our show.
2: Yeah, no, thank you guys for, for having me. I really appreciate the conversation and um, yeah, I feel like, you know, the pandemic has uh, I think underlined for a lot of us how <laughs> how uh, unpredictable and uh, surprising life is, and I think what's interesting is like everything always makes sense in retrospect, but as you're when you're in it, it sometimes feels like it, just a bunch of disparate elements. So I would encourage anybody watching or listening to just keep that in mind that like it might seem confusing now, but it it will make sense later, and. Um, you will probably look back even on the, the terrible things with like some degree of fondness.
0: Great advice. Great advice. Well, thank you so much. And, and thank you for listening to it's real with Jordan and Demi. You can go to uh, popdust.com for an archive of all our past shows. And of course you can listen to all our past episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio, radio and wherever else you, get your podcast. So until next week, we have earth eater next week, uh, which is a really cool show. Can't wait for that. So we will see you next time and uh, have a good week, everybody.